Welcome everybody to our first podcast. Um, today uh, we are going to have a conversation with Tim van Schagen. I could give an introduction, but maybe it's more fun if he gives him it himself. So please introduce yourself. Yeah, sure. Well, as you already said, uh, Friesel, my name is Tim. Um, and I'm currently working as a PhD student here at the University of Twente within the Sustainable Process Technology Group. And I'm working on developing a novel reactor concept for uh, making methanol uh, sustainably with uh, CO2 and hydrogen. Uh, and also before that, I did my bachelor and master studies also here at the University of Twente. And I was also involved with uh, Alambic. So yeah, that's a very short bit about myself. Okay, amazing. Those are also a few of the points I want to talk with you about. So I wanted to talk about why you came here to study and what you did besides studying and also mainly about your PhD, your pro uh, like what you do within the, the research group. Yeah, sure. Thanks about that. Okay, uh, so first question is, um, why did you came here to study? Well, um, it may not have been immediately obvious since I'm actually from the west of the Netherlands, uh, from the region near Alkmaar. So Enschede is quite a long way from there. Um, but yeah, when I decided I wanted to do chemical engineering, I also looked around uh, different universities, um, um, Delft University, also Eindhoven University and Twente. Went to visit open days and also um, yeah, student for a day uh, activities. Uh, and I've, I found that the atmosphere here at the University of Twente was really nice. Um, a really yeah friendly atmosphere, uh, low level uh, connections between people. Eh? Um, so I um, kind of felt at home also uh, here when I when I was walking around the campus. I also enjoyed the the campus, of course, everything at the same uh, location. It's kind of uh, studying in the center parks uh, environment. Eh? Um, so yeah, um, and since I liked it here so much, uh, I decided to go here, and also immediately had to move to Enschede, of course, uh, and I. Um, and during when I was a student, I lived at the campus also in a student house. Um, so yeah, that's in brief, very briefly um, why I chose to came here to Enschede. Okay. It's very funny because I can really relate to that because for me, it's all very similar. Like I'm from near Utrecht. Yeah. Uh, but also like I looked at different universities and eventually I chose this university because of the atmosphere. Like on my uh, student for a day day, um, after the break, like there wasn't a practical. So <laughs> my... Uh, like the, the one I was walking with, he dropped me off at Olympique and I stayed there <laughs> the entire afternoon playing potters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, yeah, the, I, I like that the, the atmosphere and everything is still the same. Yeah. That's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, and it, yeah, I think that's one of the key characteristics, uh, maybe of the whole university, but especially of uh, the chemical engineering uh, department here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, that's why you came here to study, but... Uh, you did your bachelor here. Yeah. I think you did everything besides the board. You like you did every module, like you got all ECTS, right? Yeah. 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 You're also the first year that Tom started. Which exactly. You told me yeah. Before. So how was that actually? Because when you did a student for day day, it was a different way of studying. Was it also already being like applied a bit? Or? Yeah. Well, that's a good question, of course. Um, I think that when you do the student for a day day, you did not notice the difference uh, so much. Yeah? The lectures are kind of similar still. I think uh, the, the uh, implication of the advanced educational model is especially in the way of examining and the integration of the projects, but you do not really experience that as a student for a day. Um, but yeah, as the first year of the, the TEM system, yeah, we were kind of the, 
the guinea pigs <laughs> to, uh, to, to test everything. Um, but I think it worked quite well. Um, also, the, um, the, yeah, there were some, of course, some, some let's say, um, initial issues uh, that, that were encountered. But um, I think also the um, education staff, they really um, worked with us uh, to, to solve these things and to make it the best uh, experience possible. So uh, I think for myself, I did not experience any negative aspects for this, but I can imagine that, um, let's say, stricter guidelines of, uh, all the <laughs> of all the credits per module um, if, you've, uh, if you pass everything, but none if you pass uh, not uh, one thing not, then um, yeah, that can have implications for other people. But I did not experience this myself, so it's difficult to say. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so another question I have is: uh, You were very active at uh, at Olympic. You also mm -hmm. did a board year here, but did you become active immediately in your first year? And what did you do? Um, well, yes. In uh, in my first year, I think I already joined the um, the ICT committee, the the ASO. I think it's still called that way. Yes, <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, that was, let's say, my uh, initial involvement in Olympique. And later, um, I also joined several other committees. Uh, I did the, the kickstart, so the introduction uh, period, organizing that for the chemical engineering students. Um, I also did later on the, the, the training committee. Um, I was involved in the CAT at some point, and uh, I was involved in organizing the study tour to Japan for our, uh, for our year. So, yeah, a lot of things. Um, um, but yeah, see, I, I really like the atmosphere at the, at the association um, and also the fact that it's really active. We try to organize a lot of stuff um, also and we try to involve also all, all the other students. And that's why I also felt it was very nice to do this board here. Um, and I thought also yeah, at this point, um, at, at the beginning it was especially, uh, I, I just kind of liked doing this. Yeah? Um, but later on I, I also realized that, that I actually learned a lot from it. So yeah it it was just um, nice to be able to do something back for the association i guess yeah yeah <laughs> i can quite relate to that as well as a board member currently yeah and like what what convinced you especially to do a board chair like were there certain points you wanted to learn at your certain goals set for yourself or um well i think when you start with this, this this is not so immediately clear. I think this will also let's say develop when you uh, when you when you start and, and during this board year. Um, but I also liked, of course, a lot of my friends and um, uh, yeah, the, the people from my year also wanted to do this. Um, so yeah, working together with them uh, to, to 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 do this and uh, organizing all these these activities for the association was nice. And I guess also one of the points was that. Um, at that point, I was already really involved with uh, all the ICT things at the, at the association, and there were a lot of things going wrong at that point. Um, so doing this board here and, and also <laughs> being the internal affairs person was also a way to uh, <laughs> help the association in that regard. Um, so I guess that's also <laughs> part of the reason why I wanted to do this. Okay, I think it's very funny that you mentioned this because the the ASO, like especially our board currently, is still thinking of the the best people within the ASO over the years. On top are you, Lars <laughs> Veldschoten. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I still think that you're like some kind of hero within the ASO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So it has been some time that I did <laughs> did something for the ICT, but um, <laughs> it's nice to see you still look back on this period. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what did you do for the for the ASO, especially? Because you told me before this podcast that you were quite passionate uh, back then, especially about ICT. So Yeah. 
Well, um, actually, just before uh, I started as a uh, board member, uh, we had a large uh, crash of all the I ICT uh, systems and the servers and the mail and everything. And it, it was due to power loss at some point. Um, but that really messed things up because our entire infrastructure of the ICT was gone and we had to build this up again from the ground. Um, so I was really involved in this in the beginning. Uh, and later on, we also really, really realized that it was very important also to, to document everything very well so that uh, in the event of uh, something unforeseen happening, there's already a lot of documentation that people who are maybe less experienced can, um, can look, refer back to. And this is also a large part of what I did uh, on this particular topic during, the, um, during my board year. Uh, and and beside that, I worked on several projects. For example, the I think the member administration system uh, we worked on during the, during my board year, and some some things for the website and the touchscreen and these kind of things. So, yeah, in that way, <laughs> I tried to keep myself busy with that. But I did, of course, uh, a lot more things besides the ICT. Uh, um, yeah, of course, yeah. So yeah, um, maybe one of the things I I, I also worked upon as a Internal affairs person was, of course, the, um, working together with all the committees of the association. We, of course, have a lot of committees. Well, at, at that point, we had maybe we still, <laughs> I don't know how the situation is now, but I guess there are still a lot of committees. Yeah, 23 out of the top of my yeah, head. Yeah, yeah, nice, very nice. Um, uh, so keeping everything in check and make sure that all the committees run smoothly is also, of course, a very important task because, um, yeah, we have a lot of members who are active for the association, and it's, it's nice that they. Um, yeah, that they can really contribute everything. So it's important to work together co uh, good with the committees and also that you learn from uh, each other. Um, and also one of the things we worked on in the, um, uh, during my board year where I was also involved in is the, let's say, reorganization of the um, study tours because before our year, uh, it was usually a small committee of five people who organized the study tour. Um, but at because of the new education system, especially, this was not feasible anymore because there were no people willing to organize this uh, with, with a group of five because it's a lot of work. And then we designed a new system uh, where we did tasks uh, of organizing the, the study tour would be distributed among all the participants. Um, and this also, um, yeah, we had to set this up during uh, during our board year. And actually, I was also the <laughs> participant of this, actually, of this first study tour in a new system. So... Um, there was a kind of a nice crown on the work, uh, let's say. <laughs> nice. Was that like the, especially the committees, was that also why you specifically uh, solicited for the function of internal affairs? Or were there other functions you wanted to do at first, maybe more than this function? Um, well, I had two preferences, either internal affairs b based on the reasons I described and also, uh, uh, treasurer, I would uh, was one of the options um, because also I liked working with money and numbers and these kind <laughs> these kind of things. Um, uh, but I guess uh, I, in the end, I'm glad that uh, I became the internal affairs person because um, I, I felt that I could contribute a lot um, in this uh, part of the association and also learned a lot from it. Okay, great to hear. I wanted to move on a bit uh, from um, from Olympique to other curricular activities you did yeah. besides Olympique. Because you're also in a dispute, and yeah, fraternity I think is the is the is correct it word, right? Fraternity in English? Yeah. I didn't know for sure. <laughs> I thought dispute wasn't it for sure, but I just didn't know what it actually was. Um, so uh, you are also in a fraternity. Yeah. So how did you came to join that? Uh, well, the fraternity I am 
I guess I still a member of is um, called uh, Silenus, and it's it is um, it consists of um, former study association board members. Uh, and we're a, a, a yeah a male the male fraternity, of course. It implies the name implies <laughs> implies that I guess. Um, so um, after my board, or actually during the board year, I was asked for this, um, and I of course joined them on a few uh, drinks and activities, and uh, well, I really liked it there, and so I I joined them uh, afterwards. And also together with one of my fellow uh, uh, board members, Jasper, he also joined uh, um, Silenus at the same time. So that was nice, yeah. And um, within that, of course, we, we organized all kind of fun activities, especially for ourselves. <laughs> um, but it was nice to do, let's say, besides uh, besides turning and a nice diversion. Okay. Uh, were there also other things you did besides the fraternity and Alambic? Um, I, I also... Worked for the university on several occasions. Um, one of the things I was always involved with is organizing the, the error analysis and MATLAB course for the first year students. Okay. Um, I used to give also the lectures with that with, with some other student assistants. Um, yeah, I also supervised some of these yeah, self-study hours uh, at some point. I organized trainings uh, part, part in part with uh, the training committee of Alambique, but also in collaboration with uh, the, uh, the, um, the program staff. Um, yeah, I, th I guess these are the main things. Maybe I did some other small <laughs> jobs, but uh, they're probably less important. Otherwise, I would have remembered. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, so all these things were mainly during your bachelor and also your master's. Mm -hmm. um, but then you you went on to do a PhD. Like yeah. How did you come to do this PhD? Um, good question. Um, I guess we have to go a bit back um, for that because um, during the master program, during the second year of the master program, actually, you have uh, actually two parts. So first part is in principle an internship uh, at a company or at a university in, uh, outside of the Netherlands. Uh, and the second part is then your master thesis, which is usually done at the university, although it's also possible to do it at a company. But and at the beginning of the second year of my master, I was not really sure if I would, uh, if I wanted to go to to industry uh, directly after my master, or I do wanted to to remain at the university a bit longer and pursue a PhD. So um, actually, I found out that during my internship, which I did at a company, uh, at a production plant, actually, um, I found out that I really liked um, also um, diving in depth into things, which was confirmed again during my master thesis of course because that has to be a kind of an in-depth uh, research uh, and based on that I, I i felt that um yeah i would like it to uh, work on uh, such in-depth research for for some time longer and also what helped is that during a master thesis i worked on a direct air catcher so the removal of co2 directly from the air uh, to to reduce <laughs> the co2 levels um I really like this topic also, which, an, which has an environmental impact, a, pos a positive environmental impact, hopefully. Um, and I also um, yeah, had a very nice collaboration with my colleagues at that time, uh, but also the colleagues at the, the research groups and, and, and um, the professor uh, Wim Broma. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, he offered me this, the PhD position now, uh, which I'm now uh, um, actually uh, yeah, doing research on, uh, on the methanol synthesis. Uh, so. Yeah, I, I, when he offered offered this, then I, yeah, I, I almost immediately accepted <laughs> <laughs> um, because I think think it's a very nice uh, research topic, also with um, yeah, in regards of environmental um, um, impacts. Yeah. So as you just mentioned, it's about sustainable methanol production. Yeah. And you work uh, with Wim Brilman on this, yeah. like he's your supervisor, if I'm correct. Yeah. 
And you do that this via a new kind of reactor, which is the logic reactor yeah. concept, which is, the, if I'm correct, liquid in, uh, gas out. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> what it stands for. Um, so could you maybe tell me a bit more about that reactor and uh, yeah. how the process works in general? Yeah, I, I can, I think. I, I Maybe I should give the, the um, let's say, um, explanation for at the coffee table during a family uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> visit yeah, yeah, first, yeah. and then I can go a bit more in depth. Um, but the idea is that we, we take uh, CO2. Everybody knows we have to get rid of the CO2 somehow because the levels in the atmosphere are too high. Uh, so we take the CO2 either from emissions from, from chemical plants or directly from the air. And then we have to do something with it because we, if we store it, then it only costs us money. But if we can do something useful with it, it had, may have an economic purpose. And um, we also have a lot of renewable energy and we are expecting to in increase the amount of renewable energy in the future as well. Um, and we can use this renewable energy, especially when there's an excess of electricity at a sunny day, for example, uh, to make hydrogen sustainably. And this hydrogen, can re we can react with the CO2 to form methanol. And methanol is a very versatile chemical. Um, we can use it as a fuel directly. We can blend it also with gasoline, for example. We can make all kinds of materials from it. Um, uh, we can, yeah, based on methanol and its derivatives, is, for example, currently used in, in the making of plywood and other adhesives. Um, but we can also convert it to the uh, basic building block for all kinds of polymers that we are using um, today. So we can have a lot of options to do um, with that. And then finally, we can use it as a means of energy storage. Um, so um, you can imagine that in a, in a sunny, windy day, sunny, windy day, we have a lot of renewable electricity in excess. Um, and if we then use it to make hydrogen and then uh, react it with CO2 to form methanol, um, and we later on, when we need the energy again, because we do not have enough sustainable energy, we can either burn the methanol or use it in a fuel cell to generate back electricity, in this way storing it for a longer term. Because methanol is... Um, it's a very nice chemical um, in principle because it's a liquid at, uh, at room temperature and it's also relatively uh, harmless. Um, of course, there's some safety hazards, but it is um, less uh, harmful than other uh, components so, such as ammonia. Um, and uh, hydrogen also has problems because you have to store it at very high pressure. Um, so I guess that's a bit of the, the broad context of my research. And a bit more in depth is um, the, the 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 problem is that uh, if you make methanol from CO2 and hydrogen, uh, you are limited by uh, the equilibrium conversion of the reactor. Uh, so the, it, it's an equilibri equilibrium reaction, but the, and the conversion you can achieve is about 20% max, which is very Quite low because uh, you need to recycle all these unconverted reactants, and this is a big drawback and a big problem. Where and that's actually what we're trying to solve. So. What we did is um, we are integrating a uh, catalyst bed uh, and also a condenser um, in the same reactor, uh, essentially. And uh, how this works is that we feed the CO2 and hydrogen as a gas. Uh, it um, is sent to the catalyst bed. There it reacts. Um, it also heats up there, of course, because of the reaction heat. And then we uh, send it to the condenser section. In the condenser section, we lower the temperature and then Thereby, we condense the methanol and water, which are formed as a product of the reaction. We, we condense them, remove them from the reactor while keeping the pressure still constant. And then the unconvert, unconverted gases, they are recycled and mixed with a fresh feed. And in this way, you, um, um, you introduce only gases in the system and all the products that are formed can be removed 
as a liquid, uh, hence also the name, eh? liquid out gas in concept. Um, and in this way, over the entire reactor, we can get a near 100% yield of, uh, of, of the, the products that we are trying to make. Okay. And also, um, by integrating this in, in a single uh, reactor vessel, um, we can save a lot of costs because we do not need expensive uh, piping and um, multiple pressure vessels uh, to do this, uh, this process. And, and by having a catalyst section which is hot and a condenser section which is cold and we place the, the colder section above the warmer section, we generate a driving force for a natural convection uh, like a hot air balloon eh? and you know that hot gases tend to rise up yeah. and cold gases tend to, to, to uh, go down. So therefore the, the hot gases from the catalyst bed they are moved upwards by the natural convection and the cold gases from the condenser are moved downwards. Okay. Uh, yep. So this recycle is also generated for free. Um, <laughs> and this is also what we're trying to achieve in the in the new reactor concept. Okay. Um, but then like normally it's a way bigger setup, so I can imagine this is way smaller. But at what size, if you wanted to imply this in the future, like what size would it then be? That's a good question, and it really depends on the application. Um, currently, we're developing a setup which can produce about 15 kilograms of methanol per day, which is already quite a lot, Sam. Um, to give you an impression, it, the setup will be about 2 to 2.5 meters high, uh, and also a diameter of, um, let's say, 20 centimeters or something. Um, but the scale that you want uh, really depends on the application, because if you want to make an uh, uh, from, for example, you capture CO2 from a power plant um, and you want to do something with this CO2, then you need a very large scale. Eh? You need a very large scale process. Um, and you can probably do this also in the logic concept. Um, but there, I think the advantage of the logic uh, concept would be um, less pronounced. But for example, if you have a um, wind turbine or a solar farm, there you have, um, um, and you can then directly capture CO2 there from the air and make methanol with it uh, if there's an excess. You do not have to transport the electricity in that case, but you need a much smaller scale setup in the order of maybe 100 to 1,000 kilograms uh, per day. Right. Um, and this is really where the logic um, reactor, I think, can have uh, its advantages also compared to the traditional process. Okay. Is the, um, like your master thesis, you did about direct CO2 capture, is yeah. that also something you imply currently in this? For example, if you would imply it in a solar farm or wind turbine, is that also applicable? Like, could you combine those two? Um, in theory, yes. Uh, and uh, if everything um, goes the way we are we, we plan, uh, we, we will try to combine also actually experimentally a direct air capture setup which produces CO2 with a uh, with a methanol synthesis reactor. Because we also have colleagues of mine are working on uh, direct air capture setups which which do produce this this CO2. Um, so, yeah, if, if we can achieve this in the future, that would be nice, of course, to have an experimental demonstration of this, that it actually works. But in theory, yeah, we can. Okay. Um, then with the logic, you, you mentioned like the, the most advantageous setup is next to a solar farm. Um, and, like everything you told me is quite, like in my opinion, brilliant. Like it's very sustainable and everything. Mm -hmm. There are also drawbacks from using this compared to the traditional setup. Um, well, that we will have to find this out. Uh, one of the things you could think of is because we have a highly integrated reactor, um, we have less degrees of freedom to control the system. So from a control point of perspective, it, it may be challenging. Although this is something we probably also can solve in the future. Um, 
And for the rest, yeah, I think compared to the traditional process, the, the main thing is that we just save a lot of costs on the, on the CAPE access, so on the material and the investment costs of this process because we can do it in a much smaller volume and we can um, have a much more integrated concept which just saves on material costs. So um, I guess, especially for the small, uh, smaller, uh, yeah, smaller to medium scale, we have uh, more or less only advantages I can think of at the moment, um, ex except for the, the maybe larger um, yeah, difficulties with control and also maybe accumulation of inert components in the, in the, in the system, which okay, you have to yeah. purge at some point. Yeah. But these are things that you typically also encounter uh, in, in the a traditional, traditional process. Yeah. So, yeah. And from a cost perspective, because there's always are cost implied, uh, for example, what kind of catalyst are you using right now? Is it very expensive or is it just um, the same as traditional? Good question. And um, we use a, a traditional catalyst. So it's it's actually the same catalyst which is already being applied in, in industry at a very large scale. So the catalyst is relatively cheap. It's uh, for the interested uh, listener, it's a copper uh, zinc oxide on alumina catalyst. Uh, and you can just buy it commercially from a multitude of catalyst manufacturers. Okay, so. that's nice. And I, I looked into it a bit before <laughs> this podcast, but it said on the uh, on the website where it was mentioned on the people page of the university, it said this logic uh, reactor concept functions at mild temperatures and mild, uh, like in general mild conditions. Yeah. Like what, what kind of scale would you consider mild? Um, well, the temperatures you could think of is for the catalyst bed, uh, you might think of between 220 and 300 degrees Celsius. So relatively mild, there are processes which are, um, which are more extreme in that regard. Um, and then in the condenser section, it is uh, between, uh, let's say, 40 and 100 degrees Celsius. So that's also quite uh, kind of okay. And the pressure uh, is an interesting parameter because it uh, has a large uh, effect on, uh, on a multitude of things in the logic system. Because um, lower pressure is in the point of compression, for example, it's cheaper because you, if you have lower pressure, you have to compress less. So you need a smaller compressor, these kind of things. But the equilibrium is less favorable at lower pressure and also the reaction kinetics slow down at lower pressure. Um, and furthermore, uh, generating this natural convection flow in the system is more difficult at a lower pressure. So typically we want to go to a higher pressure, um, but we will, we will in the future also really look into what is now the optimum for this system and what is now the optimal trade-off. And um, because like I said, a higher pressure then improves the, the equilibrium, improves the, the, the rate and also improves the natural convection. But yeah, you need more costs in front to, to compress your gases. So this will be a calculation um, in the future where we look into these, the sensitivity of all these parameters on the design. Okay. That was also one I wanted to ask, like, what's the optimum? But if you don't know yet, then I'm just wondering, what at what pressures are you working right now? Uh, the reactor uh, we are currently building will be designed for a maximum operating pressure of 100 bar. Okay. Um, and typically, methanol synthesis is done between maybe 40 and 80 bar, uh, depending on the, on the, on the specific plant. Okay, so a bit higher than, than normal. Yeah, yeah, it's it is relative relatively high pressure, but although in industry you can also encounter processes which run between two and three hundred bar, for example, ammonia synthesis. Yeah, yeah, um, like methanol could be used as an energy source, like as a storage, uh, but like getting this pressure and everything also takes a lot of energy. And yeah. What kind of efficiency do you then run or? Uh, <laughs> that's that's a very difficult question to answer, especially at this point, because um, you have to realize that um, 
if you go for a, for a full sustainable route, there are a lot of contributors to the energy you require. You require energy to get the CO2, either from flue gas streams or from the atmosphere. Um, typically, what you need there is maybe between 10 and 15 megajoules per kilograms of kilogram of CO2. Then you need uh, energy to make hydrogen in electrolysis. And all these steps, um, they have a, an efficiency factor. For example, um, electrolyzers may be typically effic be efficient between think 60 and 80 percent or something um if i recall correctly yeah yeah um but then this hydrogen you have is then made with this efficiency but the methanol synthesis induces another uh, efficiency step because yeah, the methanol has basically less energy content than the hydrogen because you release some energy during the the reaction so all these conversion steps you do they incur an efficiency penalty and that makes it very difficult to to estimate <laughs> what the overall efficiency of the process is it depends a bit on what you what you consider yeah um so um i think in general it is um it is uh, storing electricity in the form of uh chemicals incurs an efficiency penalty which can be quite high i think the efficiency may be um, between 30 and 50 percent or something like that which so is not already way higher than it normally is yeah but for example batteries can have a much higher efficiency yeah? that's true so um and you incur an efficiency penalty but i think the the most important aspect of this is that in the future when we have a very sunny windy day we have a lot of excess of electricity so we can uh, permit ourselves to lose some efficiency uh, and store energy for the longer term because that's that's really the advantage storing energy for the longer term and because batteries yeah if you would construct batteries on the on the uh, megawatt hour scale for example you it becomes very expensive very <laughs> rapidly um while storing energy in chemicals um can be done relatively cheaply so it, it's kind of a trade-off between these these two things i think okay and is this the first time that actually somebody is researching the the, the logic system uh, no, uh, I had one, uh, let's say, predecessor uh, who worked on on me on this con concept before, uh, Martin Boss, uh, also together with Wim Broman, of course. And um, he, what he did is, um, yeah, they conceived the concept and they proved experimentally that it worked on a very small scale uh, setup. Um, um, and now my main task is actually scaling this up and also investigating whether we can use this natural convection, whether we can use um, sufficient heat integration also in the system, and whether we can yeah, really um, identify the key uh, optimal parameters to, to run the process on. Okay. And you're currently in the second year, if I... Yeah, confirm. yeah. I, I started in November 2019. So okay. um, I'm now uh, almost two almost years uh, underway. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Um, I will look to my assistant real quick and to see what time we are. Uh, which looks okay. Um, I don't have any questions furthermore. Is there anything else you want to uh, talk about? Um, well, yeah. Uh, maybe I can talk a bit about, uh, in general, a bit about the doing a phd also in oh, that would be brilliant yeah? yes if please. you uh, would like this oh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, like it a lot. because hey obviously you have to do research because you have a project you have to do research and, and uh, you have different kind of projects uh, i think in general um, in my case i work together with with some companies on this uh, so there's also a bit of a, a, let's say a commercial aspect to this um, you also have like, more fundamental projects which are funded by government agencies for example um my project is really applied um and that i i like that because i i like it um i like to see what uh, the implications of what i'm working on directly yeah that's just that is nice 
Um, and then beside the research work you have to do, you have to do some courses, um, apart from the university and also uh, some more content-wise courses from other universities or, or organizations. Um, and these courses range from different topics, uh, for example, giving presentations in a presentation academic context, uh, how to supervise students, because that's also one of the, uh, the things you have to do, um, how to publish uh, your work, these kind of things um, you can think of, but also more content-wise courses, which depends on your project, of course, which is which what which of course are relevant. And then I mentioned already briefly, you have to supervise students, and uh, this works in two ways. Um, you have to supervise bachelor and master students. Um, and personally, I really like this because um, uh, this also really contributes to your to your own project. Eh? You, you kind of work together with someone to investigate a particular part of your project and examples of a student, a project students of my, uh, yeah, who I supervise now work on are the kinetics of methanol synthesis. So investigating the, the rate of, uh, of the reactions and making a model for this. Um, and also investigating how this natural convection uh, behavior affects the heat transfer and also the flow in the in the system. Um, and there are a multitude of other topics as well. Um, I, I personally enjoyed it to work together with, with with such students to investigate these topics. And I hope the students also enjoy it. <laughs> but they <laughs> they should answer that. Uh, and then the second part of the supervising uh, is uh, also you have to super, uh, participate in organizing some of the courses that you as a student also have to follow. Eh? Um, you have to uh, supervise some practicals, you have to supervise some projects, and you also have to supervise uh, tutorials, for example, in some cases. Um, and it's part of the job. Um, I also like doing this, um, um, but yeah, it depends a bit on the person. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's kind of, uh, it's part of the deal. <laughs> you have to see it like this. Yeah. And is that like the, the supervising part, which you normally wouldn't get in a company? Um, is that mainly what, what made you choose this? Because you already said you like the applied part, but if you were to go on and work at a company, you would also have that. Right. Yes, that that's true. Um, but I think um, yeah, it, it depends a bit on in in what uh, company environment you you arrive. If you arrive at an R and D department, yeah, you also have this in depth research. But usually, when you want to work in an R and D department, uh, a PhD is either really preferred or a prerequisite. So um, you <laughs> you have to have this. Uh, and if you work as an engineer in a plant, for example, you have much less time to do this in-depth yeah. investigation then you have to yeah solve the problems or optimize the plant on the longer term which is uh, which is quite different so yeah. yeah supervising i think it's not really the reason why why i why i chose it I, I i think it's especially doing research and also in a relevant topic that's 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 nice and i think also uh important very important in uh, deciding whether you want to do a phd yes or no is the particular topic um and you have to question yourself do you see uh, do i see myself work on this topic uh, for four years because it's really your own responsibility and you really have to organize this by yourself to make a planning and these kind of things you have all have to also have yeah if you have to do this by yourself in principle it's your own responsibility yeah yeah of course um like you really have an interesting topic at least i would say like the sustainability is something that is a major topic especially recently you're uh, uh, you heard a lot about it Mm -hmm. on news um so if you were done with this would you want to go on and work at a, a company that implies also this like for example the logic system or would you go on and choose something else might not some be something you've 
thought about it a lot. <laughs> I could well, answer. yeah, it's it's an interesting question, and um, I guess it de depends partly on what the result of the research will be. If the concept really works uh, as good as we now uh, envisage, uh, then um, yeah, then maybe we ha we have to apply this in the industry somehow, and then that there may be also a role for me in this. But I don't know at this point. Um, I do know that I after after finishing my PhD, I would like to work in a uh, in a company, uh, maybe at an R&D department or somewhere else. But um, I, I I also like to have this experience within uh, a corporate life. Yeah. Later on. Okay. Nice. Um, I think that's basically the the time we have. Uh, All right. If if there's anything else you want to mention. Um. No, I think that's it. Okay. Well, th let, uh, let me then thank you also for the opportunity uh, <laughs> of uh, yeah, uh, telling something about my uh, my research and also my experiences um, here at the university. Yeah. And if I'm correct, you uh, you told me that there was a podcast po uh, posted yesterday about the Dutch process technologies, uh, the MPT. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that's in Dutch, though. It is, is in it English also. It's also yeah, English. Yeah. You're, I think you you were to go more in depth in that one or about um, this topic also. Yeah, or? and it's also a bit more about sustainability in general and the role of methanol in this. Okay. Uh, and also a bit of my personal experience, but less focused also on my time at the university yeah. as a student. Yeah. <laughs> so for anybody that wants to learn more about this or hear more about this, please check it out. It's on Spotify. Yeah. If you uh, search for MPT podcast, you will find it. Exactly. Um, Besides that, I really want to thank you for your time and for being our first guest. Yeah, no especially. problem. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Glad to be here. Yeah. Thank you very much. And uh, that's it, I think. All right. Have a nice day. Thanks. Okay. You too. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs>